0: Radio Aspire is a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media. Presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney, it covers a host of topics from international media, publishing, aviation, and technology. Thank you for listening to this podcast today.
1: You're very welcome to episode 14 of Radio Aspire. Let's take it away. tonight uh, with the November elections coming ahead and uh, we'll be also talking about the COVID uh, pandemic and the impact on arts and culture. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Radio Spile um, and spoil.com we broadcast uh, to most major podcast and video cast channels including iTunes, Spotify and YouTube uh, by all means wherever you see this like subscribe and um, just hit the button and um, let me tell you about the program and the guest tonight. As I said, our guest tonight is Linda Reisenberg Feisler. She's a political thriller author. The ideal guest to talk about politics in the United States with the up-and-coming uh, November 2020 election. Um let me tell you a little bit about uh, Linda as far as our biography is concerned Linda Reisenberg Feisler began working at Procter & Gamble in 1979 during her 26 years at the company computer technology was in the early stages and Linda's interests and assignments naturally migrated to this area with projects from representing business requirements of computer systems to developing the technology needed by the users. Linda was one of a small number of non-college graduates promoted to management. Feeling stymied and hindered in the corporate world, she resigned from Procter & Gamble in 2006 to pursue a more creative way of life linda was linda has uh, written and published four novels in the blind series including her recently launched fourth book in the series cloaked she has also published five self-help books ranging from time management to art instruction linda is also an artist she teaches uh, oil painting and drawing at the middlestown arts center and previously worked for Kevin MacPherson uh, uh, through 2006-2009 who was an internationally known master artist as his assistant and launching a mentoring website called Artists Mentors Online. Utilising her art skills, Linda creates her own book covers. She's also a producer and host of podcasts including cast with Linda Reisenberg Feisler, foci- focusing on painting skills, and interviews with today's master artists. Cloaked, the Blind Series novels podcast features Linda reading her novels and relevant discussions uh, on the books. In 2019, Linda presented an academic paper at the R- representational representational art conference on the connection between imag- imagination and creativity exploring if the link was a conscious one in the summer of 2019 she her husband and two cats moved from Ohio to Asheville North Carolina Linda is currently writing and researching book five of the blind series novels which focuses on the premise if something politically different happened in the nineteen eighties would be would we be where we are today linda's research involves aspects of the CIA FBI operations historical occurrences and their impacts today and exploring alternative paths that could affect today's current events i think you'll agree she's probably the perfect guest To discuss today's theme when fiction becomes reality, Uh, we are talking politics in the United States, November 2020 election. We are going to touch on the pandemic COVID 19. We'll also uh, touch upon the impact that the pandemic has had on arts and culture okay so as always uh the best thing to do is let's go and talk to linda
2: okay welcome back to uh, radio with spoil and uh, linda joins us now from uh, north carolina isn't it linda
3: Yes, North Carolina now moved to Asheville, so.
2: <laughs> that's like, that's over the last year or so. A little bit of a
3: blue I- Yeah, Yeah, right. It's a little bit of a blue island in the middle of a red state, so it's kind of interesting down here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Uh, I, I think what I said to you yesterday the other day before is, I don't know whether we're going to have uh, sparks or fireworks uh, today, but certainly um, it's a topic um, politics in the United States. We're, we're probably... Uh, I think inevitably now it's becoming a a theme for my recent uh, podcasts that um you know y- you can't have an interview without touching on COVID so I'm sure COVID is <laughs> going to come up uh, COVID it seems to be intertwined in every aspect of our lives now right. um and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that and Linda you're an illustrious guest now you see because um you're only my second guest uh, who's appeared twice now uh on our on our podcast so so there you go there's one for the uh the bow uh, uh the medal
3: yeah well thank you for inviting me
2: you're very welcome well, i thought you were the we'll ideal back guest on. so um, yeah
3: the first time i think we oh thank you i appreciate that yeah in 2016 i think was the last time we talked and that was just right after the election with trump so
2: <laughs> indeed indeed kind of interesting uh, it seems like uh, an age ago an absolute age ago
3: Yes, it does. and So there are ways when it feels like it's been very, very quick, the passing of the last three and a half, almost four years. And then there's times when, you know, you really wonder if you're going to be able to make it (laughs) to the election date here in in the U.S. So, and then, you know, naturally all of the uh, concern and and anxiety around what's actually going to happen after that election. It's, it's, you know, the tension's thick.
2: Our, uh, uh, I suppose, a topic. Uh, I've explored the 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 topic. Uh, the the name of essentially the the, the subtitle I, I put on the program is when uh, fiction becomes reality. if People are are not familiar with you. You're um, a political thriller writer. Mm-hmm. Um, just um briefly, Linda, just just give us a kind of synopsis of growing up and and how you uh, ultimately became. Uh, a writer on where you are sort of now but i'd also like to reflect as you think back on your times of growing up you know influences and the impact perhaps the media has had because we're probably going to touch and talk an awful lot about the the media today because they're now playing a critical part in this whole run-up to the election as they have now for many decades
3: yes of course um so i grew up just southwest Ohio and um, I guess I started really paying attention to politics and becoming interested in uh, those events as they happened was because we went to see all the president's men and prior to that I was a kid and I was politics, and it was the biggest question I think that hit me at that, that point was how can something like this happen and this isn't more of an uproar or you know it, it i was very isolated let's say it that way from from any political talk with my parents or aunts or anything like that so um it was a, a big aha moment for me when uh, all the presidents men came out and of course i the panama papers were right before that and i you know probably had very little knowledge of that as going on i mean i was in high school so um left high school, started working at Procter and Gamble, and then uh, C-SPAN hit, and I started to get really interested in politics at that time, and I mean, I can remember watching C-SPAN, and there's not a lot of people who say they would do that, <laughs> so just to see the, the procedure and the politics and how uh, things were going on, so my in politics started basically um, after high school, um, and I could probably thank. Carl Bernstein and, and Bob Woodward for making me more interested in what was going on in government at the time. And um, as time went on, I, I, I had always been writing since I was a young child, but um, it was more like a, um, which which is why it's fiction, a physical insertment of me into the political realm of what was going on in the ni- late 1970s and 1980s. Um, so my main character is kind of my alter ego become a lawyer. I wanted to, you know, start uh, um, addressing civil liberties and um, different things like that. So through the the 80s and the 90s, and even through to today, I have a lot of interest in politics. I, as you said, a political thrill writer. And the premise of the book uh, became that that I actually started writing in the 1980s. I had it published in um, 2015. It was, if something happened happened back in the 1980s drastically, I mean, we would have thought that, you know, Nixon's impeachment proceedings and then resignation would have been drastic enough for America to wake up and become more involved, Um, what typically had that hadn't happened. So I came back with a premise of if something really drastic would have happened in the 1980s, would we be in a different place than where we are today with the division? Vision and um, the, the the anxiety and tension that we have going on, um, very very deep division that we have going on. Was there something we could have done back then that, that would have uh, um, changed where we are? So kind of a hindsight's 2020. I'm struggling with the constant. Would it have made a difference at this point?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose let, let's you go back there. We had uh, the Nixon years. Uh, then into around about 1980, uh, Reagan. and um, Yeah, since we kind of over the last few days in, in posts on social media have have sort of touched on uh, this point, I'm also wondering not so much what's... I, I think we can all kind of figure out what's different now.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> it's rather more um, had a... President Trump come to power in the United States in 1980 instead of Reagan, would it have been different then than it is now? And I'm kind of thinking out loud. Um, uh, Of course, the Trump we knew back in the 1980s and 1990s, I think was different to the Trump we have now. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
3: Well, Trump back in the 1980s was a Democrat, mm-hmm. so um, and not as much as he thought he was in politics. He wasn't in that he wasn't. He always said he was going to run for president. Um, and it was noise back then. There wasn't a platform that was offered to him. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is today and um, back at the time in 1980s he didn't have the same um, connections as well developed as he does so if he had come to power in 1980 the only thing that i could probably say was the american people um the constitution probably would have been done not so under a microscope as it is today. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we, you know, I, I consider us blind because the basically the only voice that the American people had at that point was writing your congressman. Um, you know, the middle class and lower class had very little influence other than to vote and write their congressman. And there wasn't um, email at the time. This was letters that were written um, and typically would probably be answered after a vote had already happened. So things were a lot slower back then. So I think, you know, as far as getting away with a lot of stuff, he probably could have gotten away with a lot more without all of the immediate attention that we're getting. So um, I'm not sure. I didn't have my eye on the media as much as I do now Sure. Yeah. Um, as I did back then, and mainly because we got, what, 30 minutes the news a day back in 1980 um, it was pat- you know. it was
2: very much packaged in smaller segments and i, I would say right. if, so if, if the media has right. probably changed now and we're talking about you know how has trump progressed over the last what, 30 40 years Um, i right. think the media has progressed from being less of a reporting here is the news this is what's happened today this is what x said this is what y said uh now it's become this is what x said this is what y said and we're now going to talk to four people and opinionate and oh you know opine on 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 the impact of that and i think that's what's different i i think it's it's what they call the the talking heads uh uh, era of 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 media which we didn't have back in um the 1980s even even in the the early 1990s uh uh, news kind of just generally stuck to reporting and if there was opinion or talk it wasn't a part of the news the delivery of the news itself—it was a, la- a later night segment. It was sort of your your Don Lemon, you, you know, uh, style of of of, and, and, and particularly that area of uh, call call-ins to the studio where people would give their opinion. You know, the talking heads were less in the studio. The talking heads tended to be people, which is ironic in the way it's flipped <laughs> now because, you know, with, with people having so many opinions now, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, am I wrong? Am I right? You, your thoughts on no,
3: that? No. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I guess another part of that is um, reality TV. um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week news is somewhat, like you were saying, is based more on opinion and and talking heads and their opinion, uh, less on fact. And, you if i look back in 1980s and and where trump was in his uh life and who knew about him we, i mean we knew he was a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever his status was at that time and that he was a real estate mongol but um what we didn't know was his opinions and views and we didn't really know quote unquote him so sure, we, we have we don't um, barely
2: scratch the surface of trump trump as a person
3: Uh, right as
2: as as potential candidate which i think for many times although he repeated it many times i i still don't think and and i'm kind of reflecting now a little bit into the future to well i mean from from the point of the 1980s to say 2015 2016 when he announced it was he was running Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and if we might just reflect then uh, i think the, the the attitude then was yeah, you know, this is a this is amusing. You know, this will be interesting for 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 a few weeks. This will be this will be a bit of fun, and and then we can when he pulls out, we can get back to the normal run of the mill.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the time between um, 1980 Trump and the 2016 Trump, he had his reality TV show. He started yeah. to gather a lot of people that. Um, to that show, uh, The Apprentice, yeah, and um, started to gain a lot of people who, who's him. He also then started dipping his toes into um, political things, starting the birther movement um, mm-hmm. when Obama was running, and all of the different things like that. So, yeah, so when he actually announced his bid and started running, everybody thought all this. He, whilst he's trying to do is build a bigger base and start another reality TV show. It wasn't. He really does was not considered a serious. Camp- Candidate at the time. Um, so that's, it's kind of really strange. And then all of the different things that happened during mm-hmm. that election with, um, you know, the whether you know, Russian meddling, uh, whether he's a useful idiot, as the CIA would call him, um, whether they have, whether Russia has something on him that, you know, you know keeps him basically trying to make America enough, you know, a dictatorship <laughs> and, and and trying to Figure out how to call the coming election, you know, rigged because if he doesn't win, so lots of questions over here about will he leave? And and then somewhere in there, I think also happens um, some health issues and mental decline, um, and that's you know we we have to go with what is presented to us as far as his health is concerned, um, but anybody who has had
0: uh,
3: parents go through dementia can see the signs. And um, sometimes I wonder if it is just him acting or if it really is where he is. Cause sometimes he seems, you know, he makes a, a, a fair statement and, but the majority of the time it's very much um,
2: left uh, completely out draw. of field. Yeah, completely out there on the, yeah. uh, the, the edge of reality um yeah
3: exactly I, thank you
2: <laughs> we, we we've we, we mentioned reagan obviously a, after mm-hmm. that there was the the bush years, senior and junior uh right then into the uh obama years um mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, in reflecting what you were talking about there and I, i'm saying this because i always I, i've always been intrigued by uh, u.s um politics and I always have to, well, I I can't, ch- I'm not a U.S. citizen. I don't live in the U.S. I've obviously been to the U.S. a number of times. I spend time there. But I, I'm i coming at this, I suppose, I'm, I'm trying to represent the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, please. The, the rest,
2: <laughs> rest of the free world. Uh, but I suppose, I mean, I, I was born and grew up in Ireland. I, I now live in the Netherlands um i've been to other places in europe so i'm coming at this from a european perspective um here's my question
0: mm-hmm.
2: was and, and we can let's not we can, we can talk about biden as well in this was there as much of an emphasis on the age of a president and the stamina of a president because these are words i think and, and and descriptions we're going to hear probably an awful lot more in in the coming weeks when when, when we get to the uh election uh, debates uh when they they formally go one-on-one as the two primary candidates was that a thing in the 1980s from your perspective as an american citizen and a voting american citizen was age and was capability and stamina Or is there a perception that that I've sometimes had that, you know, maybe we inflate the position and presence and influence of the U.S. president more than necessary. In other words, um, is it more about his administration or her administration when it's put together?
3: yeah um definitely remember when reagan was running that, that there was a lot of questions around his age at the time because at that point he was um considered you know by the time he would get out of his eight years of yeah you know, quite it elderly, sort of, yeah. Uh, right yeah he would have been in his 80s eight, or just turning 80 i think so he would you know that was definitely a question back in the 1980s i remember that at the, my first vote you know, where I went when I was old enough to vote was um, the Reagan election. And um, so it became very, you know, interesting. And again, you're absolutely right that at that time, a lot of what was considered was who, was What was his full administration? And how was that administration going to work? And was he gonna put himself, you know, where he was more or less the wiser of his mm-hmm. administrative um folks so um so that definitely was and, uh, the uh, reaction to was bill clinton this young guy who was an oxford um graduate um at and in, in rhodes scholar and you know all of these different it was just a stark contrast and you have to remember in the last three or four years reagan Um, mentally also had Alzheimer's and, um, you know, we, we could see the decline, you know, the famous scene of Nancy Mm -hmm. under her breath saying, we're doing the best we can. And then he repeating that was, you know. uh,
2: Yeah. I I think, I think in those final two years of
3: Reagan's administration,
2: I, I think there was a, I think even, even shall we say the more sympathetic Republican inclined voters were were getting seriously worried you know that this man is not really where he should be you know effectively uh, i felt for the final two years his administration was wholeheartedly running the show he was just absolutely a figurehead at at that point
3: yeah absolutely and and you probably could also see that the the appearances of him were also um declining at that time Mm -hmm um so and so we had this stark contrast of a young vibrant um person running against uh you know someone that, that was a little bit older and and of course the the thing was you know about our future was um Clinton's you know campaign rally so he came ac- across very energetic um it was it was an interesting contrast to the previous four two to four years before mm-hmm. that again, America was ready for change. And an interesting point is every candidate has run on change ever since. No, yeah, I know.
2: It's, it's, F- but it, but that's, that's, that's not even an American thing. Do, do you know what? I hear the most okay. uh, right of center and left of center people make that same argument. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, vote for us or vote for me because I am the candidate of change. And we always end up then, like a few months later, wondering what actually changed. I I certainly agree with you in regards (laughs) to the Clinton years. And then the Obama kind of took that fold of obviously these, these weren't exactly young men as such, but in presidential terms, they would have been considered two relatively young um, men uh, 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 carrying out the role. Um I, I certainly think that that was not so much a shock to the system, but that was different. Um, and I, I think there was, remind me, um, who was contesting against uh, Clinton originally when he um, came to power on the Republican side? That would have been...
3: Oh, gosh. Um, um, you think I would have the. this.
2: Yeah, I remember John oh, McCain uh, in the Obama, Obama years.
3: Right. It was McCain and Obama years. and, and was it, uh Well, there was Mitt Romney. H- yes, he was one of them. Well, I'm trying to think. We went from Reagan to H.W. Bush. Yeah. And then um, H.W. served his age. Junior, yeah. Bob Dole? Ah, Bob. Or was Bob, he up against A.W.? I think
2: Dole, it was Bob Dole. Yeah, Bob Dole could have been around the. Reagan time, or maybe he ran a second time. i should, should have checked all this out before, shouldn't I? Yeah, I
3: should have too. I was actually <laughs> but, focusing but,
2: on. Yeah, but okay, <laughs> I suppose my 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 point being, um, it
3: was an older candidate.
2: In it general, it
3: was an older candidate.
2: Yeah, in, in general, the Republicans have stuck to the tried and trusted method of, you know, the the sort of elderly, worldly statesman. Well, uh, with the exception of Donald Trump, perhaps. Uh, who i think caught them all by surprise um, before before i suppose we get to the how the hell did we get here
3: um it was by the way <laughs> i just googled <laughs> sorry
2: <laughs> um I, I i i guess the 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 first question that i would um that i would ask and it's it's something that's come up right since the whole impeachment thing. Um, is what happened with Nixon worse or not as bad as what's happening with Trump? I think I know the answer, but I want to still explore it.
3: Okay. So um, Nixon's... Nixon's article of impeachment started in the House, made it to um, the Senate, and basically the regna- resignation came when it was so told, I see your kitty is visiting you. <laughs>
2: yes, yes, he <laughs> promised me that he would go asleep in his box, but has decided he's coming out. Yeah.
3: I was waiting for mine to come up and meow at me, so that's what that's what's funny. But um, yeah, so the articles of impeachment started in the House, made it to the Senate, the um, vote came in and the votes were not there to keep uh, President Nixon in office. So he was basically asked to resign and did so basically right before the vote, if I remember per, um, appropriately. But, and, and then of course, um, his was uh, obstruction of justice and um, I th- there were two other, I think, impeachment counts against him. Um, but, so, but
2: ultimately, I think it was his administration kind of took him aside and said, enough, Richard, you know, you know, the, the, the music's playing, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. And ultimately, he saw sense. He saw that this is yeah, over, I'm finished, yeah, I'm done. What
3: he, what he didn't want to be was removed from office um, under impeachment. Uh, by the Senate, he, well, so he no, no ultimately president. resigned.
2: I'm sure Clinton no didn't didn't want to be either, and and no more so than I'm sure Trump uh, didn't want to be either. Although you know, that
3: plays uh, into his reality TV show. Yeah, me. yeah,
2: I, I, I so think do, uh, yeah. Trump <laughs> more re- Trump um, more relished the uh, impeachment uh, process uh, than perhaps Sir uh, um, Nixon would have right. had it had it have went to that. Uh, But he didn't let it go to that, and certainly Clinton didn't relish. um, But I think when the Clinton impeachment came, I think deep down people knew this isn't going to get him. You know, he'll be a wounded warrior, but this is not, you know, ultimately it was about I did have sexual, you know, Relations with that woman, you know i I think it, it, it we always knew it was going to come down to lying to the American people, but right kind of like he's he's you know he's not going to be voted and removed
3: but yeah, interestingly enough, they put it non guilty, not guilty on the perjury charge, yeah, but guilty of obstruction, so right, yeah um, yeah so so basically, what we had with trump. Uh, including with the foreign government obstruction of justice into that investigation, which one do I think is worth Clinton or the Nixon or the Trump? I would say, um, from the standpoint of, uh, laws being ignored, the rule of law being ignored, mm-hmm. um, the constitution being ignored, I would say that Trump's yeah. um, impeachment is much, much worse. And honestly, um, he should have been removed from office in my opinion. So it, I guess I should have stuck the facts there, right? Nick, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, opinion wise, I definitely think that what Trump has been up to um, is, is definitely should have been removed from office. We just didn't have the votes in the, in the Senate.
2: I suppose we're getting to the, the, the core topic now when fiction becomes reality. And and the question I would ask now is that I touched on just earlier, about five ten minutes ago is how the hell did we get here? Because <laughs> well, I, I, we all know that deep down, you know, and, and this is, I, I think this is even with um, moderate Republicans, this is probably still something that rankles with them. <laughs> yes. He's got, Trump has his, his core base and will always have that 30-35% core base, no matter what he does, the proverbial, even if he shoots somebody on Fifth Avenue.
0: Exactly. Um,
2: but what I'm asking is, how the hell did we get here? And what rankles with me is how submissive one of the most extraordinarily strong political parties in the United States have got themselves into how did they how, not only how did trump get there but how did they get themselves I I, I think we, we touched on it earlier as well I I think in 2015 going into the start of 2016 I don't honestly think people like Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, I I don't think any had any comprehension that this would go very far that this guy would drop out within you know six weeks it would be a novelty and then he'd be gone and then we can get down to proper serious business but somehow trump managed to almost abduct the, the republican party and make it the party of trump how, how did that happen
3: it's a really good question and with a lot of um the, the different investigations that have been done. Um you know there's there's people who believe that he is um, Putin's puppet mm-hmm. that I think a lot of the strategic that have been made through this um, with the connection to the NRA and, and you know there there's just so much here to look at and put under the, the microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, the election itself uh mentally and with that, I read an NSA report that showed um, how far they got into the election system. And I worked computer systems in P&G, and I, I looked at that report and said, how can they get that far and not flip a vote? I don't understand that. Um, I don't understand the whole, whole um, the Russian operative that was part of the NRA. And I know about a lot of the money that the NRA was pumping into a number of, of senators and representatives' campaigns. Um, so, I mean, the thing that I always come is, is what did they have on these folks that all of a sudden they didn't like Trump when he wasn't leading in the campaign, no. they loved Trump when he was the candidate and became elected, and then just stood by him this whole time? Um, I, I really don't know how or why they did this. Other than it back to it comes back to power and greed, and this. You know, we want to lead. We want to be the powerful ones, no matter what, regardless of rule of law, regardless of, of the constitution. They've they've thrown the constitution under the bus. I don't know how many times in the last three years I lost count. <laughs> so, um, and the same with the the you know rule of law. Um, it, it's just amazing. And and I know that there are a number of books out there. Some written by you know, a Harvard professor um Seth Abramson and and then um there's Michael Cohn's book, there's mm-hmm. Bob Woodward's book. Um there's there's so many there's so much information that needs to be looked at. So much um of the you know I would love to see an unredacted report from Congress. So I, that I, I you think can really wrap your mind.
2: What what we often hear the media, you know, saying and and look, you know, we, we all know there's bias built into um, media um, networks, whether you're Fox News, whether you're CNN, whether you're ABC. Um, right. Uh, I, I, I suppose what 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 I also have to get my head around is, and I know when, what, I, I think at one stage, to, on my right, did we have about 12, 15 Republican candidates back in 2016? And now I know all's fair in love and war, and it's kind of like, and look, when the best man wins and he's voted in, that's it. Or or best woman candidate is voted, that's it. We all have to fall into line and get on with it and make the bet. Now, I get that. I understand that about politics. What I don't understand is how a man like Ted Cruz can listen to the future president claim. That his father was involved in the assassination, yep. the, the the Kennedy, in some involvement in the Kennedy, you know, all these crazy things. Mm-hmm. When I when I think back to the things that Lindsey Graham, you know, said, you know, the man's a kook, you know, he's he's crazy, you know. When I think back to all those, yep. and yet they fall happily into, not only fall happily into line, but take on administration positions as well it's just mind-boggling to see it from the outside
3: yeah it's it's definitely party over country
1: mm-hmm.
3: um it's stepped way beyond that and um now it's party over country and constitution um it, it, so it, it's just a this need for power and the need for greed. I mean, we've always, our politicians here, like you were saying, it's, somebody gets elected, we have to stand, and, you know, we, mm-hmm. we fall in line and say, okay, he's my representative or he's my president now. Um, this election broke that. I mean, yes. with the not my president hashtag, um, you know, and, and people protesting, women especially, protesting against um, you know, Donald Trump uh, with the not my president. And I, in and, and all honesty, I don't consider Donald Trump my president either. But is an um,
0: extraordinary
2: Thing to say. I've never, never, ever, it's, for yeah. the, even the most venomous, biased Democrat senators and representatives uh, during the the time of the Bush years, I've never heard that kind of thing. That that man is not my president. That that's you know, no,
0: right. you know regardless
2: of whether you voted or didn't vote or or whatever. I've never ever heard that.
3: No, yeah, and we didn't. I mean, as as much as I didn't care for W, or, or, um, well, I actually kind of liked his father, but um, I never said that W wasn't my president. I never went that far. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never heard other people go that far. Um, There was a key part after um, 9/11 in 2001, and I. I, and it, it rings in my memory where um, W was down at the World Trade Center site, the, the,
2: with the 9-11 tragedy.
0: On, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, And uh, Ground Zero, I guess is what. Yeah. yeah. So he was standing there. And I remember him saying over the bullhorn, you're either with us or against us. And I was like, ooh, ooh, don't go there. And, and he meant it in a way of, you know, talking to our allies of, you know, you're either with us or against us, uh, kind of. Way, but I think America took that a bit further. Of and, and then, and then there was this thing of when you got elected, you became a representative, a congressman, the president of the United States. So whether you liked it or not, you had to represent both sides. But from that, you're either with us or against us. And I'm not blaming W. So let's make that clear. But that. Got us into the thinking of you either are on this side of the issue or that side of the issue. there's no compromise or negotiation that goes on between and we live in a gray area we don't live in the black or the white area it's it's that negotiation and compromise that makes a democracy work and we're not seeing that today now it's you're either with us or against us and if you're against us we can't can't negotiate. And that's what I think is hurting the US more than than the president. I mean, it definitely has its place, but he's taken that, you know, I this is the way it's going to be and just everybody who fell into the line of with us or against us is is just getting on that bandwagon and um I mean, it's that to the, jumped on it and and I mean, if our allies speak to us again in six weeks, I'll be surprised, (laughs) you know, so um, there's, there's just been a very, very, they never have stepped away from party over country. It's, it's been party over country. um, I would say for the last 12 years, Um, you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate didn't like the fact that President Obama was elected. And has had I don't know how many bills on his desk that he has not brought to a vote. Yeah. And he has he has done that ever since it, he actually stepped it up after the Democrats took the house back and um, has not brought I think the last time I looked it was 800 bills that the pass, that the house has passed. That he has not brought brought to a vote in the Senate, and again that just comes back to you're either with us or against us and and party of our country
2: and that takes me to quite perfectly to the next point point. and it's 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 expanding on that polarization mm-hmm. that that we've had um and i I really get Ericic particularly on. Well, like I get irked all the time on social media. Um,
0: but um,
2: in particular, this idea of Republicans bad, Democrats good, or vice versa, hmm. depending on your persuasion. And we have to get away from that because we're, we're going nowhere, regardless of Trump reelected or Biden, we're going nowhere if we continue on that entrenched approach, because mm-hmm. it simply isn't true. You know, right. and, and, and this I think is one of the reasons why, and and all that's happening at, at, at House and Senate level is that they are reflecting the extremes that voters have in, exactly. in, in polarization. That they're just simply mm-hmm. giving them what they want almost. Um, and what I mean by that is we all know Republican voters are not bad, the Republican party as such is not a bad party, we can hold them responsible for what's happened, but essentially they will argue, look, the voters voted uh, for Trump, um, we put him up as a candidate uh, through the primaries and caucuses, you know, we didn't do anything wrong, That's might not particularly liked the outcome, but we had to live with it, we made our bed and we, we, we have to lie in it. Um, but it's that polarization that we're going nowhere until we start listening and working both parties together. And we, there's such a void left with the departure and death of John McCain, who could do oh, yeah. that, who could ma- who micromanage that kind of cross the aisle stuff. Um and, and there, there are other people in the Republican Party. I'd I I would say John Kasich is a, is another man capable of in that mold capable of doing it. I don't particularly like necessarily his social policies as such. And I suppose I would say something similar perhaps about Joe Biden and perhaps we should talk about Joe Biden. We've talked a lot about Trump. We maybe we should talk about uh uh Joe Biden. Um you know, I deep down don't feel that the Democratic Party consider that Biden was ultimately the ideal candidate. Now, maybe there's a lot in the party, and I think particularly the traditional block voters within the party, who probably feel, well, he's he look, he's our best chance. There was a time there he was on the ropes, and it was like, mm-hmm. I don't think, Poor Joe is going to even see out the end of this. Um, the he, he's not even going to get to the um, the uh, the, the Democratic uh, uh conference. Um, I don't know. Y- y- your your thoughts on that? Is is Joe Biden the best that the Democratic Party can offer?
3: Um, well, the Democratic Party is probably going to sit on my shoulder and say, "Say yes, say yes." <laughs> but um, the answer. <laughs> The answer for me is I remember Joe Biden when Joe Biden was young and in the Senate, or it, yeah, in the Senate, mm. and um, was the, the um, chairman of Tom Clancy's um, becoming a, a Supreme Court justice. And he, I remember him questioning Anita Hill. And it was, it was then that I just sat there and thought, this isn't the brightest bulb in mm. the in the desk drawer, okay? So, um, he, and he, he was. I mean, we had the Senate back then had a wonderful mix of Democrats and Republicans that worked together very, very well. And I think that Joe Biden was very low on the list of if you had to name these these different he individuals. You
2: said he wouldn't have been the person to come to
3: mind, yeah? Yeah. So. Um, um, from that standpoint, is Joe Biden the best that the Democratic Party could have done? No. Joe Biden was also vice president to Obama, which harkens us back to those eight years when they, the United States was in a better position and better led. Hmm. And um, I think that they're using him as a rally point. If you look at Joe Biden's record, his record is that he is a very conservative Democrat so he's more middle of the road than he is left so there's a hope that he can bring the country back together um i hope he has a really good plan to do that if he does get elected and um because it isn't going to be just as simple as i'm your leader now let's all fall in line because that's not going to happen happen.
2: yeah And, and that polarization whether it's quelled somewhat should Joe Biden win it's not going to go away it, no, it's, if it's potentially not. it become even if it's even possible to believe it could become even more entrenched uh, oh and, yeah nope. and the only thing i see breaking that is i'm i'm not sure it's going to happen but the only thing i see breaking that is if the um democrats take the senate as well but that's a huge stretch uh, to, and that, to get and, there. They could narrow it by a couple of seats, but that's a huge stretch.
3: Yeah, it is a huge stretch. And even if that happens, I don't see the country reconciling itself. What will happen four years from now will be that the Republican Party, the GOP, will come back and start saying, we had all this rammed down our throats in the last mm-hmm. four years because they had control of the House and the Senate and the, the presidency. And typically, if you look back there's never there's been short stints of time where a particular party has taken over um both you know all three powerful chambers okay um but there's it only has lasted for for possibly two years the american public always saw a really nice balance in the executive branch being one party and the legislative branch being the other party so um and, and that always kind of was our check and balance.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's Those there's no doubt. I think there's there's you're absolutely spot on there. I think there's no doubt the American public, the, the the typical, if there's such a thing, American voter has always felt more comfortable if at least one of the houses, be it the the Senate or the or and ideally the Senate. Uh, has that right. final you know is that there's a balance there that this isn't the three aspects of the one face uh, dominating and right. railroading things through because I don't believe that the I could be wrong I was wrong about Trump I was convinced I, I, I'll i tell you this I'll reveal this to you and remind people although I wasn't broadcasting back then I said Trump is going to win this candidacy, and people say, stop it, don't be so ridiculous as that. I said, he's going to, he is, he's masterful, whatever you feel about him, he's masterful at that idea of debating and knocking pegs down, and he will be greatly underestimated, and he won the candidacy. But then immediately he won the candidacy. I thought, well, that's great, you know, because there's absolutely no way now he's now he's really finished <laughs> little did I know I, yeah i i I don't know your your, your thoughts on that is, as as well as uh,
3: um, as much as I'm a feminist and um would have liked to have seen Hillary won. I wasn't a big Hillary clinton fan no, wasn't um either so um you know i i think she came across a little too scary <laughs> mm-hmm. and and so but you know once once the parties get behind their candidates that there is a a lot of energy and momentum there and i mm-hmm. and i think i think there is a inherent and I, I said this last night to friends pecking order that goes down when um you look at the general conscience, if you will, of the United States. And, um, you know, white man is definitely above that. So was there any discrimination among the voters? Did we get the right amount of turnout? What was really in the Russian meddling? What happened with that? Um, You know, all of that comes into play. But I think there were a lot of people who just flat out didn't see, for whatever reason, Hillary, they couldn't, They couldn't divorce their emotions from how they felt about Hillary Clinton um, as as a person to how powerful a leader she would have been. Um, So call it uninformed electorate if you want. But there was definitely a pull for going back to the way America used to be. um,
2: And I think think to a degree as well. Yeah. what? Where are we now? Uh, for the past well, no more uh, eight, twelve, more more than twelve years, the Democratic Party have kind of never had a clean break, as it were, between the next election either. Right. In Obama's case, re-elected. Um, but on. Then of course Joe Biden. Well, he was the vice president uh, with Obama. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, in
3: 2016. Yeah, but sure, of
2: State. You know, she's sh- sure isn't she Secretary of State, and she's part of the Clinton administration anyway. So what the well, Democrats have never managed to do over the past 12 to 14 years is break that continuum. That's that's whereas the Republicans have managed to break that association with the previous administration here's something new and let's face it it's like what we were saying earlier about you know what does everybody voter want what does everybody you know what does every candidate promise change change you know it's, it's always that, it. that, <laughs> that that buzzword which i think with the democratic party it's never quite been changed, it's kind of been a bit more of what we've previously had. Whereas the Republicans seem to have been a bit more what's the word? Yeah. It's kinda like a it's not sailing a ship, a massive ship in a straight line, and you want to turn it slightly and it takes ages to turn that massive ship. The the Republican Party seems to have been more adept at being able to do that. To switch.
3: Right. And I think it comes down to the Republican Party has had a succinct message from, let's say, Reagan on, mm-hmm. just for the sake of, of, of argument. Um, and that is, you know, pro life, pro gun, and, and um, conservative fiscally. Although you question that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always question that, and um, they have been able to rally their base to that those particular issues, where the Democratic Party uh, has is, is an umbrella over a number of different things, and you know, um, immigration, you know, against guns. If you want so they've been painted this anti-everything yeah yeah yeah, exactly. they,
2: yeah, yeah. They have
3: a more diverse party that they have to play to which makes it di- more difficult to stay on message for so so basically the gop is on message has their message has their strength in their message and it's
0: pretty where simple where the Democrats
3: tend to that. yes it's right and they and they pull that every time it's um frustrating as a as a democrat <laughs> so <laughs> to see that happen but um you know and 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 honestly mick i mean my husband and i sit here and look at it and go they're going to screw this up again yeah yeah. yeah.
2: that's that's my biggest fear that 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 uh, i'm going mick i keep saying to yourself you know mick you might have got the candidate right you know and but (laughs) you really got the you you got the election call badly wrong um and i'm thinking 2020 don't make that mistake don't underestimate the voters don't underestimate what will happen particularly sometimes in those last three or four weeks
3: exactly yeah
2: you know yeah i saw the whole thing with where it kind of exploded with uh um hillary clinton with the whole thing with comey coming out publicly and going people going yes what the hell are you doing man you know the elections a week away. You can't say that now. You know, back down. You know, right. leave it till after the election.
3: Right. Yeah. Actually, that that I think hurt. I think that's.
2: I think that I think was think- the final blow. That floor. That, that yeah. was the, the 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 kind of the the argument with that three or four million votes that swung it the other way for, her and right. just Absolutely. gave Trump just about enough to pinch the um the the electoral college.
3: Right, because it, it, it was you know the we're re looking at what email server she used. I mean, you, you, uh, the when she was first lady and was starting up the healthcare and that and that didn't go well, and and then there were a few other things that happened, you you know, with Hillary. It just brought back all that doubt of can she really hold, can she really, you know, lead us with. Mm-hmm all of this water gate or not what uh, white water behind her and you know yeah so, and that's the other good thing too is um you know a certain party <laughs> the gop the republican party is very good at finding dirt on people and making that the or the debt Are you
2: there, Mick? Yeah, you're there. You still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I think yeah. I sound just broke okay. up there. Mick. Um Okay. Uh, I just we, we briefly mentioned the Michael Cohn book. I haven't mm-hmm. read it. Have you read it? I haven't,
3: no, I have not. Um yeah. not planning to read it. So
2: that's what I want to ask you. Yeah. What is it about Michael Cohn? Because we we've we've uh what's the other guy? Uh Anthony Scaramucci, is it the the um... yeah yeah? We've had all these people who've kind of had this uh, rebirth, that this you know discovery, you know of oh what was I thinking? What was I doing? What's what's different? Or is there anything different about those two? Is there anything different about Michael? Is there anything different about Anthony? What's different about them? They've both written books. They both had this realization in in recent years. I I'm sure the uh, time behind bars for Michael Cohen uh, might have uh, helped him along his uh, his journey, his his discovery. Um, but is there anything different about those two, or is just just kind of like a little bit more of what we saw with Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham? It's just kind of like a reset. Okay, get back in line. Get on with it.
3: Yeah, it's um.
2: You know, is it a reinvention? Are they trying to reinvent themselves to be relevant?
3: I, I think they're just just trying to make money for themselves, honestly. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it, it's the reason why I have no interest in the Cohen book or the Bolton book or the, the Scaramucci book um, was because they were inside and they had an opportunity um, to do,
0: yeah.
3: yeah, to speak out and, and say what what was right of things and it always seemed to come back to well i have to worry about the well-being of my family and uh if i end up behind bars i have to write this book so that they have money you know whatever I, it, that's what it always seemed like to me and quite honestly i don't know because i have not read the book but is there anything that is more groundbreaking than what he said at his
2: um when he, was, he appeared before uh, congress in yeah front of congress
3: Yeah. Yeah. So if there's a book, as they think there is in the Bolton, into a a Bolton investigation. um, Why didn't you say it? Why didn't you do your patriotic duty and say it in front of Congress and in front of the United States? I mean, so, yeah, making somebody like Michael Cohen richer. Um, Mm -hmm. So and and I really just don't think there's anything in there that's going to be groundbreaking. Otherwise, the press would have been on it all already so that's kind of where i stand with with
2: that in the past week since we uh we set up this um interview uh <laughs> we had the the, the, the bob what well, yeah so so much happens in trump world um we had the bob woodward book i, I, I suppose I, i'm not going to talk too long about it people who follow us um politics will, will be aware uh, of of you know, the, the, the think 18 interviews that he did, the suggestion, because I, I'd like to talk a little bit about, about the current pandemic as well in political terms, too. Uh, and I also want to talk about the arts uh, before we finish. But just on the mm-hmm. Woodward, I suppose the, the million-dollar question, is that another blow to the bow of the, you know, u s s s Trump, you know, sailing ship, or will we have forgotten about this in two weeks time when the debates come up?
3: Uh, it should be the last blow to his uh, administration, I feel. Well, um, it should
2: be, but then we well, might I have don't. said that about the Russia collusion on, on many other exactly.
3: things. Exactly. Um, that's one of the thing about, you, you know, the, the good thing about the, the Trump administration that they can do is they can take a hit like that and make people forget about it. In, a two, in two weeks time by distraction um, usually yeah yes um, hear, here's something squirrel. even
2: more crazy
3: <laughs> right yeah squirrel yeah,
2: <laughs> Rabbit and, hole. yeah. And,
3: and honestly I, yeah honestly the american public has a short attention span to begin with and um you know this has just made it even shorter uh it, it should i mean it should it should have been the final nail on the coffin. It, it's not the final nail on the coffin. Um, I, I think the only way it'll be brought up in the debate is Joe saying it. And I think Donald will lie his way out of it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll duck it and go on to something else or just blatantly lie and say that it isn't as bad as, he, as it, as the world is reporting it to be. Um, so, I, you know, when, you, when you're when you over here in the U.S., I, I don't know how it is in the Netherlands, Mick, but when you're over here in the U.S. and you and you walk into a place, I had a friend say that they were standing in line and they had their mask on and all this, and then a person came up and said, well, you can see who the Democrats are, and they didn't, you know, it, it's that polarization, again, that is killing people in this country. And um, as I said to another friend of mine, to me, it's not political anymore, it's human rights. It's, we're down to violating human rights at, at this point with the ICE detention um, in Georgia, that's getting a lot of news now from a whistleblower who said that they're removing the uterus and female parts from um, the women there and then deporting them back to their country. I mean, you know, we're into human rights issues now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone beyond political issues.
2: So. Well, that takes us to the pandemic, and, and reflecting on the media, and, and I, I don't want this to sound like, oh, it's all the U.S.'s fault. You know, this wouldn't be happening here, but it wasn't for them. You know, they started all this. The It's everywhere. It's the same here. You know, I, I know it's it? like that in yeah. Ireland. It's like it in the U.K. It's like it here um, mm. in Europe, particularly in countries that have quite a, a nationalist based government, you know, there is, I see it, a, a, a strong surgence of, you know, anti-mask, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, th- th- this is all about vaccinations, this, you know, um, and yeah. while I don't want to make this sound like I'm blaming the US, I, I, I sometimes have to fix in my head, if... Because U.S. media is so powerful into Europe, yes. and, and and so many of us are into and know that this is the, you know, proverbial, you know, free world leadership we're talking about, and the influence economically, health-wise, and just general trends and attitudes that the U.S. can have on the rest of the world and the influence. I somehow wonder if that wasn't happening in the U.S., would we have so much protests, and just, you know, people not doing what they should be doing, you know, wear a mask, you know, wash your hands regularly, you know, watch your distance. I, 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 I'm still trying to get my head around if it wasn't, if that base or movement in the US hadn't steadily grown over the past few months. And I can understand the frustration because it's been badly handled there and the, the loss of life there but I, I do wonder if that hadn't stemmed in the us would we be seeing as much of that in europe i don't know maybe i'm in a better position to answer but your thoughts on that
3: now i think if we had better leadership here um uh, and then it would have it would be different hmm. through the world i mean the rest of the world has always looked to since what World War II, U.S. is a leadership in a leadership position, and um, we've been, you know, through through. Let's just say, in the past four years, we haven't been doing that. No. Uh, um, so the rest of the world still looks at the United States, and there is. There is a there is a starting. I guess I don't know you would have a better idea of this because you live in Europe, but Mm -hmm. I do see that there's divisiveness also going on in Europe. No, absolutely, and and it's
2: steadily that's been happening, looking, and and, like I said, I don't mean to construct the point I'm making as if I'm blaming, that's, you know, I'm not suggesting that, I'm talking a bit more about the media involvement, you know, influence.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think w- where I was going with that, and, and I'm not taking it as blame on the U.S., but I'm not. Um, it, where I'm going with that is I think that that dis- divisive role over in the Europe is also looking at the United States for leadership for their positions. So they find reinforcement in what's going on mm-hmm. in their stance as well. Um, we, you know, we opened Pandora's box and we aren't going to be able to put everything back in it and close it. And it's going to be the same way worldwide. We're very, very close to, um, you know, if you look back into the twenties and thirties, 1920s and thirties, we're very much into a very unstable world at this point. And, you know, it's going to take someone with extraordinary leadership skills to come back and, make that happen. And do I see that in Joe Biden? Not really, Mm -hmm. but it's better than for me. It's better than, you know, what we currently have. We're still going to have two political parties that are basically hating one another Mm -hmm. at this point. And, um, when you go down that road, it's very hard to climb back up to, uh, the high road again.
2: I want to talk. Um, you're also, um, an artist a painter i mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about the current pandemic and the impact obviously from your perspective in the united states that it's having on arts and culture and i, I know in our whole conversation here it's where there was nothing else to talk about or think about um, in the united states other than you know COVID 19 and donald trump and the, the next uh um election and, and in in reference to that i sometimes feel that we can because we have an instinctive interest and fascination with it i sometimes think and and this is probably also reflective of your your point that you know people have very short-term memories sometimes about things and i think it is that that ordinary people are trying to get on with their lives at, at a very difficult time and it's mm-hmm. like well look I I I I don't even know what was in that Bob Woodward book. I don't even know what was said. I I don't pay much attention to the news. You know, I'm fed up with it, I'm sick of it. You know, it's all depressing stuff. Um, but the impact on arts and culture, I certainly feel over here. I know in Ireland, there are strong voices from the arts community and culture communities, but we're still not hearing enough about it. And and I think intrinsically. We're starting to realise that, you know, bar venues, comedy venues, um, you know, the whole hospitality sector, the huge importance of that that's built into the arts and culture sectors and the impact it's having effectively, you know, other than online, artists don't have... uh, A mode of living and operating as normal, as and performing normal, producing um, whether it's content writing, um, whether it's photography, whether it's paintings, whether it's sculpture, whether it's an actor performing, you know, the impact, you know, on the on the whole cultural and uh, tourist sectors are are just huge, and they're all intertwined.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, as an artist, I can definitely sit up here in my studio and paint and get enough of an inventory that hopefully mm-hmm. when the cash flow looks better, that I can start to sell paintings again. Um, but the issue around selling a painting is that's disposable income. Mm-hmm. Are you going to buy a painting or are you going to make sure that you have food on the table? Sure. Make sure that your house payment's paid. So, um, there's the economically, yeah, the we're taking hits. And so is the entertainment industry. Um, I have a friend that is a, a director and he's in uh, Biloxi filming right now. And, and, um, it's, it's interesting talking to him because he has a movie coming out in November that's supposed to hit the cinemas. And the issue is we don't even know if the cinemas are going to be open and, 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 if they are open, who's going to go to them. So, um, you know, you, you spend billions of dollars in the entertainment unit uh, or industry to um, make a film. And then you're like, well, where should I put it to try and get some of my revenue back? And it's the same all the way down the line. You know, you're writing a book. Are people going to buy it? Should I give it away free at this point? You know, how is all this going to work? And the uncertainty around, um, you know, will we ever get back to normal uh, is... It can pretty much stop creativity in its tracks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you sit there and, and you and know you, you
2: clearly see- this 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 has an impact in different ways on different artistic sectors. If if, if you're a
0: right.
2: a band, um, you know it's it's like any reality of artistic life. You know the reality is that you're probably not making a huge amount of money selling records. Your revenue stream is probably primarily coming in from live public performances right um similarly for a theater actor um who's perhaps maybe only doing minor roles in tv and film but their primary day-to-day job is you know acting uh treading the boards in the west end or broadway you know that's their bread and butter and they can't do that at the moment Um, right i think it's perhaps marginally easier whether you're a journalist a writer a painter or a sculptor mm-hmm. because you're producing something with a view to well hopefully this will all end and there'll be a channel to funnel it through and make a living ultimately but i think if you're a musician a comedian or any type of performer actor you're in you're in big trouble at the moment
3: right Right. Yeah. And typically, um, artists and writers, uh, and you know this, Meg, mm. we we typically have making money, um, a, d- a different source of income. I think what the pandemic has done is, is basically showed us that, you know, it's good that we had some results. There, but, you know, we really can't count on any sales coming up. So tightening the belt one more notch you know, to, to make sure that we can do things as, as, you know, quality as we can, best quality we can, but for less money. Um, so that we're not, you know, pull, pulling money from our economic, you know, the economic side of the house payment and the uh, rent payment or mm-hmm. car payment, insurance payments, all those different things. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, it is, it's affecting and it's affecting the artists. it's, it's, it's whether you're an actor, musician, writer, or on down, um, it's hard to get creative when you know what's going on in the, in the world and people and, are dying. And it is, and, it is
2: genuinely because the, the nature, I think, of writing, whether you're writing fiction, whether you're writing nonfiction, whether you're a journalist, um, mm-hmm. these are all things that play into, you know, I, I think I was on a forum there um about a month ago and it's it's funny when you you look at the questions that are being asked now that obviously would never have been asked you know a year or two ago and i saw so many authors asking the question you know um i'm writing a book and like i said it could be nonfiction, fiction or it it, it, it right. could be it could be an, a novel and asking do i mention the pandemic Right. Or is that like, I'm screwed? Because cause I, I, cause when you mention something like that, unless it's specifically about a very particular time, or that's the actual subject of your book, you know, I'm, I I potentially locked that book in to that time fixed. And in five mm-hmm. years' time, when everybody's forgotten about this pandemic and we, we all sort of, you know, are amused, you know, at what went on, and, and, and not that I'm downplaying the... the, the catastrophic amount of deaths but what i mean when we reflect back on situations that happened in the world and influence it of that time and we lock our books into a particular time because you must experience that as a political thriller writer and i i never know what advice to give them you know i I sometimes make make your novel very atypical of the times but don't Mention very specific things unless it has absolute, one hundred percent relevance to what you're writing.
3: Right, and it's it's the same. If you come down to the same question that I have when I'm writing my political thriller with the historical bent, it's kind of like, do mm-hmm. I include um, the assassination of Anwar Sadat? Mm-hmm. Um, Sadat, you know, in Egypt, and I don't use the name, but I use the circumstance of okay, yeah. the leader. you know, so if people were reading my book, okay, so this is when Sadat passed or, or was murdered. And, you know, so, and, and then that had all kind of ripple effects throughout the book. So, yeah, so it comes back to, um, to, to the question of, and I think what your advice is right on, you know, don't get too involved in it, but. Yeah. Use it where you can. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're using it at a certain point, make sure you stay on point.
2: Um, let's, let's try and return back to our, our main topic uh, as, as we kind of close out and and finalize things. Not that we can, and not that we're staring into the crystal ball, but there, there's a degree of that, that that has to be done. I think in, in any process like this, um, November election, Donald Trump (laughs) wins again. Lightly, if he wins, it's a narrow win. What's Trump world like for the next four years? Will he even last? We got that wrong. We got that wrong last time, and he did last. (laughs) We thought, no, he won't last, but he did.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, for someone like myself, that, my um my husband actually came to the point of saying that we're going to leave the United States, so hopefully there's there's room in uh in the Netherlands for us to <laughs> come over and visit you or something. But, um, I've yeah, heard so it, many people it, say I, that, you leave.
2: know, if he wins again, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. I've had so many artists, I've so many actors, but they never do. You never leave in the end. You stick it out. You go, no, we're in this for the long haul.
3: Uh, well, we can't. Honestly, we can't go anywhere. All the borders are closed yes, to us exactly. right now. that's yes, true. So. Yes,
2: yes, we're, we're locked in. Yeah, somebody's, they've thrown away the keys.
3: I mean, even Canada won't let us <laughs> in. That's pretty bad. You know? Mexico may be next. They may be saying no. But uh, I anyway. think they
2: already have said that anyway. No, you can't come down there. A border's closed.
3: Yeah. They, yeah they, well, you know, that's that might be true because I do have an artist friend that's living in Mexico and he hasn't come home yet. So he may not be able to get across the border. But no, but... um. Seriously, it's I don't I don't know if I can make it another four years. I personally, (laughs) it's um and you know it was like I said to 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 everybody that sits there and says you know how come people that aren't as decisive and and um that's just downright nasty Mm -hmm. as Trump you know there's he's not you know I don't know how to say this without the the Secret Service coming after Mm -hmm. me but he's. He's made it. Nobody's tried to hurt him um, and all this. And it's like, you know, how come that has happened? And, and, you know, somebody else who we really like, like, you know, just say Kennedy at this point, he was very well liked. Mm. You know, he gets assassinated and it's just like
2: this war is so unfair. Slow
3: down a (laughs) bit. Yeah. But but it doesn't change is what I keep coming back to. I mean, because then you have Mike Pence in there. the, The same GOP is in control. They've got the Senate. Um, of course, the next person in line after that is, is Speaker Pelosi, but if, you know that it's not going to happen. We're going to have another four years of him, and if we if he does get reelected, it, it's going to be another four years of um, disregarding the, the rule of law and the checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And now with um, Justice Ginsburg's death, the if they do. Ram, one of Trump's appointees, through um, you're looking at a very mm-hmm. far right conservative, you know, Supreme Court. Um, I think Justice Roberts has um, been a. I've read some of his dissents. You know, when he's when he's not done what the Republican Party wants him to do, and I think he's been right on. I, th- I, I yeah, think, I, he's I think in general, guy. he has
2: not quite been the. Trump appointee that perhaps Trump thought he was going to be, but then that's that's kind of that's their role. That is what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed yes. to be, you know, non-political.
3: Yes, exactly. They're supposed to be looking at the law. That's why they're there. They're supposed to be our our top legal minds. If you will, a, a little bit and, like our and, friend
2: um, Attorney General uh, William Barr. Uh, you're not supposed to be the president's lawyer, personal lawyer.
3: Exactly. And um, if I were in Congress, I would be asking for his yeah. impeachment. But, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, I, you know, going back to what we said earlier, it, if, um, if Donald Trump does get reelected, the only thing I can hope for at that point is that the Senate turns blue
0: mm-hmm.
3: so that we have some sort of checks and balance that we don't have right now.
2: And in a Biden world... I, 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 but again, I, I, I want to move and talk about in a Joe Biden world, but it's kind of like you still can't move on from Donald Trump because the next question then is, will he go easily, when he's told Donald you lost, just accept it, you lost, can we move on? And it's like he's already setting this up, that, come, well, we've already pretty much been told we are not going to know the result of the election possibly for could be days it could be a week or two and he's almost set this up you you can almost hear the ink going to the paper you know that Mm -hmm. he's going to target eight states and he's going to challenge the election in in those states and this is going to be rambling on for months
3: yeah and and i live in one of them and Mm. it's it's really interesting because um either way i see this the U.S. is going to be in turmoil. Um, if Donald Trump decides that he's not going to leave, we're going to see a civil war. We've had people who were a lot more informed politically than I am saying that already. And I don't think they're saying it just to scare us into voting for Joe. Um, these are people that are supposed to be, you know, not leaning. The other. Um, yeah, there's. it's going to get very, I mean, it's very scary. Um, I voted already, I voted absentee, even though um, I was, you know, at first it was vote absentee in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and now it's just vote early, and, you know, and, and now it's Donald Trump's claim that we should vote absentee and then try to vote again yeah, which is this, a felony
2: yeah uh, this is a <laughs> crazy crazy uh, situation that he's suggesting it's, it's, yeah. it's but then it's more from bizarre world
3: right exactly so i i don't like i said whoever and that's joe biden because that's who's running against him there to me Anybody who's going to vote third party doesn't understand what kind of leadership we're going to need coming out of this. And um, the two choices to me are are Biden and Trump. Uh, The third party candidates don't have enough support in Congress. No, it's
2: it's never. I I think the closest. If I remember correctly. um, I'm not even going to uh, mention Kim Kardashian's uh, other half, (laughs) Um, but. uh, if I remember correctly, going back <laughs> over the years, I, I think the the only candidate that I can genuinely think and make an argument that they had some kind of effect on the overall, not not changing it, but had an effect on it, was probably, I think it was, was it Ross Perot? Yes. Uh, I, Ross think Perot. Per, I, I don't I think. know how much percentage he took, but he took a significant chunk um that, that may have had some yes. influence on the race. That was
3: right, and that was um, basically he took votes from the Democratic uh-huh. candidate and um, split the Democratic candidate, that's Democratic vote uh, to the po- point where W got elected. Mm-hmm. As that's that's basically, if you look back and do political analysis, that's basically what has been said about that. Um, so yeah, so to me, you know, I, I know that we desperately would love to have a legitimate third party in this country. Um, but all you're going to end up doing is is you um, if you do vote third party. Yeah. If you're a Democrat and are voting third party.
2: Should we be hopeful? Well, I suppose it depends on your persuasion, I guess, as well. I, I need to be careful here. Those depend on your persuasion.
3: <laughs> I, I I just like heard the Imperial March from Star yeah. Wars going off in my you head question. On the window
2: <laughs> what are you talking about in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, I, you know, without hope, what are we? Yeah. So yeah, I, I have to be hopeful. So yeah, we'll, well
0: see.
3: And, and and honestly, I mean. Whoever, if it wasn't Biden, whoever was running against Trump, they have a lot of work ahead of them. And yeah, it's and it's, just... it's, it's going
2: to be regardless. It is going to be a huge challenge. Whoever's there, and, it is, and if yeah. it's Joe Biden, th- this is not this it this ain't no cakewalk. You know, this is no walk in the park. This is right. going to be one extraordinarily tough. Certainly, I think that the first two years before the the mid elections uh, coming in twenty twenty two, this is going to be you know some two years because we already know that whether we like it or not and i I look around europe and i can already see the the plans made in countries the 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 you know what they put forward for planning for for COVID and it goes well into 2021 we're we're going to be living with this probably for at least another year
3: yeah you you went right to where i was thinking it's like all my you know folks that i know and don't know on on social media posting until 2020 what do you think in 2021 yeah. <laughs> nothing so we're still going to have COVID with us yeah. and and you know and even when the vaccine comes out everybody is not going to be standing in line to get no, that no vaccine and, and that's going to
2: that's, that's be another uh, challenge and, and and that's this is also what some experts say you know we are banking on a progression of pharmaceuticals to produce a vaccine one you don't always get a great uptake I think in I think is the flu and I, I don't specifically know in the US but I know in Ireland and the UK the, the uptake in the flu vaccines that people regularly get it's only about 30 to 40 percent of people who you know are in that target area that they, they, they feel should take it uh, so it's it's not extraordinarily high you've got these pharmaceutical companies you know there's six nine different uh, tests going on at the moment we don't know if this virus is going to mutate or alter slightly during the typical flu season we don't know because if that happens we potentially could be in a situation where the any produced vaccine is of no no actual value but it's when we get to next year and that's that's another frightening thought
3: yeah, and, and if I'm if I remember correctly, um they've already identified eight different eight different mutations mm-hmm. of this particular COVID nineteen. Yeah, now that's, I don't know, that's what a virus I mean, does. A, a, a virus wants yes. to live. Right. And um so how how are you developing which which mutation are you developing the vaccine
0: mm-hmm. for? Is that
3: still the main one or is it one of the other seven and like you said it's going to mutate even more so um especially since everyone is starting into their second wave and we have the northern hemisphere and uh or and so yeah yeah i mean i've i've heard talk i think is it well israel is shutting down or have shut down already Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe, is it Italy that's talking about shutting down again, or I is it France? I so.
2: I think uh, France have talked about it. I don't know whether they have plans yet. I think Italy are. And and there's also parts, I think Madrid has been pretty bad in Spain. Okay. You know, but I, just, I suppose just to sum up, in general, um, we are where we suspected we would be, that, that pretty much right. we would from March through April, May and we won't go into the whole ins and outs of what happened in the USA and whether they acted quickly enough or did the right things but I think in general um, I'm not convinced things would have been dramatically any different even if the US had been doing what Europe was trying to do what was happening in China and uh, South Korea I think we always knew we'd get on top of these we'd push the numbers down we, the, uh, the, the, the figures would trail off but at some point, the second spike would come, and it does now look like we're starting to approach that again. And I think what's mm-hmm. happening is, in the United States, has always been—I don't mean this in a geography way—that all countries across the board, from the very far east right through across to the west of the United States, countries are in different stages of the, the COVID-19, uh, and the United States is probably a month to two months behind where what we're seeing in Germany, France, the Netherlands, you know, is so kind of like, and I suppose that's how you learn uh, from a pandemic. You know, you look at the countries that first got this, how did they deal with it? What stage are they at now? And the fact and reality is that Germany, Spain, France, Italy are all starting to see spikes again, and it's starting to creep up. I right. think you here in the Netherlands, we're now, we're now up to 2,000 a day. Uh, cases and um, uh, Ireland I think it's is up to 250 to between 250 and 350 a day. I'm not sure what the um, The UK is, but I'm pretty sure it's well over a thousand uh, per day as well So we're seeing all those countries are back to hitting a spike a potential autumn winter spike And probably the US is about four to six weeks behind So what's happening in Europe? I'm pretty sure after this election Come late November, you're going to start seeing the same thing. The figures are going to, I mean, I think they dropped yeah. below 40,000 daily figures. I think you're going to see that figure starting to push back towards 50, 60, 70 again.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that's what I was going to say is you're looking at 1,000, 2,000 cases. We we never really got lower than 20,000 yeah. cases.
2: Yeah. No, at, no, once, once it fully, yeah, yeah.
3: So, I mean... So we're at 40,000 now give or take a just the difference in the hearing and stating those numbers is just crazy yeah it's
2: frightening it's frightening yeah
3: yeah yeah
2: so. I, I wish we could finish on a more positive note uh, and I'll, I'll try to do that linda by giving you the opportunity uh, and and any of your fans that have, have, have uh, tuned in when this broadcast goes out next week uh can you just finish up just by telling us uh, what you're doing at the moment, what projects you're working on and what events or things as, as best you can uh, deal with the circumstances at the moment? What, what's going on for you and what's what's happening over the next few months for yourself?
3: Yeah, so aside from getting out and getting some fresh air and hiking um, to, just so that we have a little bit of of um, being outside in our sure. our routine, I'm working on book five um, of the blind series. And um, it's really, that's at a point where I'm going through the first edit and asking myself a number of different questions about, is there some other way that I want to bring something in that will help us get to a, another point, um, help us be in a different place if it, in the fictional world of 2020. So working on that, doing some painting, especially if I find myself you know getting low um, and then just kind of, um, trying to make new friends down in Asheville in a time. So um, it's so, you know, in a way, I probably should have a lot more time available to work on book five. But for some reason, I don't have as much time as I thought I would have. But um, yeah, so it's the only thing I guess you could say that the COVID-19 has done for us is has stopped the socialization Mm -hmm. of getting out and meeting people. Um, But, you know, and eating out and different things like that. But so I guess my day is spent cooking, writing and editing, <laughs> painting and uh taking care of my cats. So <laughs> and my husband.
2: <laughs> um Linda, it's been a pleasure uh talking to you. Um hopefully we'll we'll have you on again. Um yeah. God knows what we'll be talking about next time. Well uh, yeah. you never know.
3: It's, so me- can i leave can i leave with one maybe this would be kind of uplifting for everybody is please, uh, a
2: please quote do from, please do
3: yeah so this is a quote from um justice ginsburg and she made this comment uh point uh, in her life i'm not sure what the year was but it's fight for the things that you care for um but don't fight in a way that will keep others from um leading you, you from joining you so i didn't do that quite as much uh justice as i should care about but don't do it in a way that will lead others or do it in a way that will lead others to join you Mm -hmm. so you know don't be out there fighting for your cause but do it in a way so that people come and join you in that fight because that's we need unity we don't need division no
2: absolutely and on that positive note uh, linda i'll um all uh, i c- i can add to that is look whatever your political persuasions uh democrat uh independent uh republican look please coming uh towards the election get out and vote or else vote early Um we need a decent turnout in the election because the, lar- the larger the turnout. The fair, we can argue, that's a fair result. We got a decent turnout. If you have very low turnouts, it it can have a significant effect on, you know, the impact uh, for both candidates. So regardless of what your political persuasions are, um, absentee voting, voting by mail, just, or if you you feel that it's safe to go out there and vote, then please do that. Uh, Linda, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, you take care of yourself, your husband, and the cats, and all uh, the uh, look after this one here who's been roaming around for a while. <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks, Nick. Okay,
2: take that care. Bye, bye.
1: Okay, thank you to Linda for joining us this evening. Apologies, we had some drop out there on both the video and audio. I hope it didn't affect the listening and viewing. Uh, positive negatives take what you will we are where we are and um, thank you for joining us and i'm looking forward to episode 15 who knows what we'll be talking about and where we will be details, her website where you can find our books in the descriptions below Where you have it, wherever you see this also the links to Radio Spile www.radiospoile.com and our channels take care, see you again wear watch wash take care you have
0: been listening to Radio Spile, a series of
3: podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media and, and presented by investigative journalist Mitch-
0: visit our links provided in this podcast production thank you for your support